0: Good morning. Hi, everyone. We're here with Jennifer Weiner, and I would squee if that wouldn't be annoying in the mic. Uh, We're so happy to have you here to talk about your book that's out May 10th Mm -hmm. called The Summer Place. Mm -hmm.
1: So can you briefly just let our listeners know what The Summer Place is about? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this book. The Summer Place is the story of three generations of a family coming out of the sort of worst of the pandemic quarantine. And there's a wedding on the horizon. There's a young couple whose relationship got fast-tracked because of the pandemic. They're gonna get married. And it turns out everyone in this family has some kind of deep dark secret or new revelation or something that they're dealing with, coping with, trying to hide, trying to resolve. And it's all going to come to a head during this wedding weekend on Cape Cod.
0: Oh, it sounds so good. I absolutely loved this book. This was so fun for me in that it was almost like a mystery as you sort of go through the different perspectives from all the different family members and you're trying to piece together all these different secrets. And I loved as a reader that I could see what was happening, you know, from everyone's perspective, but obviously they don't know. What's happening until the end, which was fantastic to read. So, what was the starting point for writing this book for you?
1: So if you guys, if any of you guys read That Summer, which was my last summer's book, I this is starting to sound like a who's on first routine sometimes. Like (laughs) I'm like, I have a new book coming out, and and they're like this summer? I'm like, no, that summer. but didn't you have a summer book? I'm like, no, big summer was last summer. And that summer is this summer. And now we're at the summer place and I'm very happy to have arrived here. So that summer was heavy. I mean, that book dealt with some big, serious, um, I had to go to some dark places to write that book. Uh, and then my mom died on, on mother's day, like 10 minutes before that book was published. And so I had just come through this, dark time. And I told myself, I just wanted to write something that was like a romp, something that was funny and fast paced and comedic. And I was thinking about those like French farces, you know, where like a door slams and somebody else opens a door and, you know, I was thinking a little bit about that and a little bit about A Midsummer Night's Dream where there's this enchantment and there's these couples that, that you know, they come together, they come apart. There's almost a supernatural element to the pairings, but mostly I just wanted to do something fun and delicious and diverting and spend some time in my favorite place in the world, which is Cape Cod, even if it was just in my imagination. So that's that's how it happened.
0: I'm so glad you said that. This book for me felt very much like fast paced. It was very entertaining. It was definitely an escape for me in the depths of winter uh, to be in this summer place in Cape Cod. So I really enjoyed that. And um, what I'm curious to know is I saw you mentioned this yesterday on Instagram, the, the New York Times article about how you address the pandemic or don't address the pandemic in your Um, in your fiction. And so I'm curious what the choice there was in including it and um, you know, how it might have changed your process in writing these stories.
1: It sort of felt to me like the elephant in the room. And I think it's going to feel like that for a lot of writers who have works in progress. It's like, do you pretend it's not happening and invent some kind of parallel reality where the world feels exactly like it does, only there's not that going on? Or do you find ways to address it, knowing that we've just all been through it, we're still going through it? And I don't think anybody wants to revisit the depths of how awful it all felt at first, you know, the confusion and the, what do we do and the morgues and the refrigerated trucks at hospitals. And I mean, I don't, I, Jody Picot wrote a book called um, Wish You Were Here that, that really took people back to that moment. And she did it so expertly. And I was so impressed because I'm sitting here thinking there's no way I want to read about that stuff. I don't want to go to that place. But for me, I was also thinking about what the pandemic did to marriages and what it did to families. And at least for me, so I work at home and I'm used to having the house to myself. You know, my husband would, he's also a writer and an editor, but he goes to one of those like shared workspaces because he likes being around people he's a freak. I don't know. So he would, he would leave and my kids would go to school and I'd have the house to myself. And suddenly my husband's home, my kids are home. Um, my house is now a 24 hour diner, laundromat, therapist's office, gym, everyone's together. And I, it it certainly showed me some new, facets of the people who I love. And I'm sure it showed them some new facets of me. And I thought like, that's a really interesting plot point. The idea that like, you can be married to somebody, you can have given birth to somebody, and yet you don't really know who they are, or you don't know who they are in this particular set of circumstances until they are living with you 24 seven. So, you know, there's the wife who discovers that her husband has these flip-flops that he wears to help with his plantar fasciitis. And they, the sound of the flip-flops just makes her want to kill him. And you know, I have friends that are like, you know, I heard my husband say, let's circle back to this. And I wanted to die because I was not aware I was married to a circle back guy. You know, there's just, there's little things. It's it's not the big stuff. It's the little stuff. And I wanted to talk about the way that the pandemic shaped family dynamics and also romance, because there's this young couple in the book who they basically dated for like 10 minutes and then this like stay at home order comes down and they move in together. And that happened with a number of couples that I know or have read about or have heard about. It's like suddenly you you go from zero to we might as well be married. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm going to be interested to see how that works for people in, in real life. So those were just some of the things that were on my mind. And I sort of felt like I can bring them into the story. I can talk about what we've all been through, but hopefully just not make people feel like they're right back in the miserable, miserable depths of it. And so that is what I did.
0: I loved the way that you handled that in the story because I was nodding a lot in relate in relation to Sarah, because I know I felt that way during the last two years. Where you feel this sense of closeness with your family members, but they're also just everyone's always underfoot and yeah. you don't have any space.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that this story really captured some of those feelings in a yeah. way that it feels very specific, obviously to this experience. but it it didn't stress me out if that makes sense, just thinking about all the things we've been through the last couple of years
1: that's that's good that means I've done my job because I wanted to do it in sort of a, a funny way but also a way that felt relatable so when sarah talks about how like every single surface of her house feels sticky like somebody's hand was just there every breath of air feels like it's been in and out of 10 different people's lungs like i think a lot of women moms wives a lot of us felt that feeling
0: exactly I work from home now as well and just that feeling Feeling of our house is absolutely not big enough. There's not enough space in the world. There's just stuff and people everywhere has been a really weird dynamic to grapple with. And I actually um, had my first child right before the pandemic. So discovering like motherhood during a pandemic and working from home has been really interesting. And so a lot of this story where Sarah's in her house, you know, with her whole family. And the flip-flops, like I thought that was hilarious because I can relate exactly to that where it's just one thing that you sort of maybe lock onto and it just is driving you nuts um, no matter how much you love your significant other.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, everyone's got something like maybe they chew too loudly or they clip their nails in a really annoying way or whatever it is, you know, and you a lot of times it's like, okay, I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. But then suddenly when they're, when they're in your face and there's nowhere for you to go and you talked about your house, not feeling big enough. Like, I don't think anybody's house felt big enough. I think you could have been living in a palace and it still would have been like, get out of here, you know? So, um, And God, I felt so lucky because my kids are teenagers and they were like autonomous beings who not only did not want my help, but like preferred it if I kind of left them alone. So I like, I I so take my hat off to the moms of babies and toddlers and little kids because I cannot imagine how that must have been.
0: It's certainly been a really odd experience. I have nothing else to compare motherhood to than nice. trying to be a mom during a pandemic. So it's it's very bizarre to think about what it might be like to parent outside of this, this context. But in many ways, it's been nice. I have certainly had a lot more time at home with my son over the last two years than I would have otherwise, but um, that's its own you know, level of challenges and just all the proximity and trying to work. And what I thought was really nice that you did in this is they're in their, their house and they have, everyone sort of goes to their spaces, mm-hmm. um, but it's still not enough space. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you can still just hear, of uh, you know, your children in school, your spouse working, you know, everybody, all of those layers of your life are suddenly all in one spot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that you captured that really nicely in a way that I think, and hope is very unique to this experience and, and something that we, you know, won't have
1: to relate to again. It's so one of the things, like, I love reading like blogs about people who are like renovating their houses themselves or like architectural digest or the real estate section of the times. Like I'm super into like shelter porn, I guess you'd call (laughs) it. And so I was reading like, all of these people talking about, you know, suddenly you can't hire a contractor because everyone is trying to hire a contractor because everyone is like, please build me a home office because I didn't think I need one, but now obviously I do. Or like you said, realizing that even when you're in your own space, you can hear people moving around on the floor above you or whatever it is. Like, I think that like the uh, the physical spaces that we inhabited just became a really interesting part of the story. And boy, I think the open concept living plan is, is dead now. The, like when I was young and buying my first house, it was like, take down that wall, take down that wall. I just want one big, you know, kitchen, dining room, living room. And now I'm like wall, 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 door, door that locks, Mm -hmm. other wall, (laughs) right? Exactly. We need a
0: door to shut.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Um, So speaking of the relationships in this book and sort of the not enough space, Ronnie and Sarah, two of the main characters in this book, mother and daughter, I found it really interesting. They sort of set certain things aside to focus on their marriages or their children. And sort of you address the the road not taken Mm -hmm. in this story a lot and how do you, do you think everyone has a road not taken? And how do you sort of stop yourself from thinking down that like, what if path? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: does everyone have a road not taken? I I think pretty much every woman does because there's a conversation that Ronnie and Sarah have. And just to give listeners a little bit of the background, Ronnie is the matriarch of this family. She's in her seventies. She had been a successful novelist in her, it late 20s early 30s and then sets that life aside she's a teacher she's a mother but she's home she doesn't travel anymore and and she's just made a sacrifice to be with her family the way that she thinks that she should be and there's other factors for her having made that choice that i don't want to spoil for anybody but then she has this daughter who's an extremely talented musician and Sarah has to make a choice of am I going to pursue music knowing there's a lot of uncertainty, knowing there's going to be incredible sacrifices I'll have to make, knowing that maybe I'll never have a family, have a husband, have a life that looks like that. Or do I want to pursue a more conventional, you know, I go to college, I get a degree, music is more my hobby or my avocation. And I, I thought a lot about that set of choices. And it's, it's funny. It's like, I never really set out to write, you know, Oh, I'm going to take on this issue in this book or whatever, but it ended up sort of um, very organically becoming a part of the story where, and, and it's not just um, Ronnie and Sarah. There's also Ruby who's this young woman who's dealing with her own. What is my life going to look like choices? There's Ruby's mother who um walked away from a a baby because she realized that she just was not cut out for motherhood and wanted a different kind of life for herself. And I think women feel those choices very acutely because I think we still have to make them. I think that we're still the ones expected to do the bulk of the child rearing and the housework and the Emotional labor of maintaining relationships, whether they're marriages or parent-child relationships or the relationships you have with the rest of the world like that tends to fall on women's shoulders, which means that men can they can have big jobs and families if they have a wife to make that all run smoothly. It seems to me a much less common situation to find a tremendously successful woman with a big, big important job and also a family who's keeping all of those balls in the air and everybody's happy. And I'm not sure why that is, you know, I'm not sure if it's that, you know, we as women are wired more to want to be home, to want to be with kids, and it's not as big of a sacrifice. And men, it's it's easier for them to be like, okay, my parental leave is up, I'm going back to work goodbye. And they're, you know, they're not feeling pulled back toward home. I don't know why that is necessarily or why women seem to feel those choices more acutely. But I do think that For a lot of women who become wives and who become mothers, there is maybe this idea of like, what could I have been if I hadn't, if this had not been part of my life? And I also think that the women who, you know, do have these huge, you know, they're movie stars or they're CEOs or whatever, but don't have families, maybe for them, there's a little bit of a like, should I, you know, that's their road not taken. And what could that have looked like for me? But I just, you know, there's a line where Sarah is sort of asking her mom, you know, does anybody have it all? Does anybody pull it all off? And her mother says, I think artists have an easier time than anybody, because like, if you're a writer, you're, you can be flexible, you can work anywhere, you know, all that stuff. But she said, I don't think any woman, even the luckiest woman has it as easy as just an average guy with a wife. And that was sort of Ronnie being my ventriloquist. And and that was something my own mom would say, you know, she's like, I just think it's, it's easier if you have, if you're in a creative world, but it's still not as easy as it seems to be for men.
0: I really related to that. I mean, just becoming a mom before the pandemic and trying to juggle all of those things. It does. Oftentimes I feel like I'm not giving any area of life a hundred percent. It's like torn between, you know, my son, my husband work, Um, you know, general household things like, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. Um, And I just thought that this was definitely something that's been on my mind the last few years. And it was nice to see this reflected in these characters to know that I'm perhaps not the only person that feels like, you know, you're trying to give yourself to so many different things. And quite frankly, it's just not going to happen all the time.
1: Yeah, I I think that's really common. Well, first of all, like that makes me feel good because I always, that's always a hope for me when I'm writing one of my female protagonists is that she's going to make somebody feel a little less alone, a little more visible. But I think that like we as women, we judge ourselves so harshly and there's so much judgment out there. It's like the stay-at-home moms have something to say about the moms who work and the moms who work have something to say about the stay-at-home moms. And we all feel like we've come up short somewhere A lot of times, because there are many industries who are deeply invested in making sure that we're never happy and it's never enough. And there's always, you could be thinner, you could be prettier, your hair could be straighter. And here's this new makeup and here's this beautiful thing you could buy for your house and your house would be perfect, but it's not clean enough. So you have to clean some more and, you know all of that stuff, I I think is very real for a lot of women. And, you know, I have daughters. And so I think about this, like all the time, like, what's the world going to be like when they're in their twenties and their thirties. And that's um, interesting to to hear just the relationship in this book
0: about all of the mothers and daughters and all of the different configurations. Um, Did that play an important part being a mother to daughters yourself? Like, Was that something that you had top of mind as you were writing all of these different relationships with Ronnie and Sarah and Ruby and, and Ruby's mom. I mean, they all make choices that impact each other and, and they all have such different relationships. Um, you know, even like the relationship of grandmother to granddaughter is totally different.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely, it's, it's always there, the idea of like, I have these girls who are now young women who are going out into the world. And what is that gonna be like? What did I grow up experiencing? What did my mother's generation grow up experiencing? Like how have things changed? How do they still need to change? What am I modeling for my daughters? What am I showing them about marriage and about, love and, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, you know, and I, I, I thought about that, you know, I wanted there to be happy marriages in this book. Like that was really important to me. And so I think like Ronnie and Lee, in spite of some bumps at the beginning are, they're happy together, but their happiness is predicated on this gigundo sacrifice that Ronnie has made that, that Lee is not aware of all of the dimensions of that sacrifice or all of the reasons that his wife stepped away from the life that she did. And then with Sarah and Eli, you know, she he's she talks about like, this was not the guy I would have picked. like if I was making a list, I wouldn't have wanted somebody divorced. I wouldn't have wanted somebody with a, you know, full custody of an eight year old girl. But he, appreciates her and makes her feel visible and seen and and cherished and i I loved writing that. I loved writing the story of how the two of them fell in love and how they were with each other, like before the pandemic and this big secret that Eli has, and it all comes kind of crashing down. But yeah, I mean, I think about this like all the time, like, what are my daughters going to expect from the world? What are they going to expect from relationships? What are they going to want? What are they going to do? Like just everything. I mean, it's, I thought I worried about them a lot when they were little and and I did, but it's, it's sort of the thing they say, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And it's not problems per se, but it's just like, you know, when they were little, it was like, you know, well, what was the snack at preschool and what was the letter of the day? And now it's like, I've got a girl in college. So I'm like, you know, summer internships and, and jobs and where will you live and what will it be like? And then my, my 14 year old who is hilarious and is like learning to play the bass. And I'm like taking her for her bass lessons. And she's like, well, I have the hair tossed down. So <laughs> That's yeah. So nice.
0: And, um, it seems like a lot of the elements of this story are inspired by things that you enjoy and things that you love. Um, and I'm wondering how much, you know, of this story is maybe based on things from your own life and how much of it is is just, you know, characters that you've created.
1: There's always pieces of my own life that I lend out to different characters. Um, If there's a meal in a book that sounds really delicious, chances are I have either cooked it or eaten it. Um, I love, I love food. I love cooking. I love writing about food. Like, so that's a really big thing for me. That's a really big part of my life. Um, And the swimming is that was, my mom was a big swimmer and I became a swimmer and both of my daughters love being in the water and swimming across ponds was something that we would all do together in Cape Cod. Um, and my mom's partner had like the little floaty, you know, the flotation device in case Mm -hmm. she got a cramp or something. So we'd be like swimming across the pond and Claire would be dragging this like buoy basically. So, um, you know, the, the time I spent in Cape Cod is, is very much there. Um, you know, I, a lot of the things that I love show up in my books and whether it's something I've personally experienced or just something I've thought about experiencing, like, you know, it's, there's always a lot of me in there and there's always sort of the, a character who feels a little bit like me. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm actually glad you mentioned the food because I do have in my notes the lobster
1: cob salad. Is mm. that your recipe? Yes, it is. It is. And um, I think as part of the like promotion of the book, we're we're sending out little recipe cards for how to make it. But it's really, it's more of an assembly than a, than a cooking. Mm -hmm. Like basically you get a bunch of lobster that's been steamed and cracked and chilled and you just cut it into chunks. And then you just like make a big, beautiful Cobb salad with whatever you like and, you know, hard boiled eggs and bacon and avocado and tomatoes and all of that yummy stuff. And yeah, that was, um, that is my signature salad.
0: Yes. I love that. I noted I definitely noticed and took note. And I I just love because that seems very much like something, you know, that my mom or my grandmother would do, you know, to like kick off a season or kick off an event. You have these like go-to meals that you associate with that. And I loved that the lobster cob salad in this story um, is a notable meal for this family.
1: I think I've read that like taste is the most profound memory that we have. Like we forget the way things look and we forget the way they sound, but we never forget how they taste. I I thought that was so interesting that that's sort of, it, it, we imprint taste memories in like an older part of our brain than we do other memories. And so, yeah, I think like, the idea of like the food we always eat together is, is very resonant for a lot of people. I mean, it's like Proust's Madeleine's only it's lobster cob salad. Right. I'm so glad that you're sending the
0: recipe out with this book. That makes me so excited. Mm -hmm. Um, So is this the last story sort of in your summer trilogy series?
1: My summer cycle. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have told everybody I'm finding a new season after this, <laughs> but you know, I, I wanted to, um, I guess I wanted to steer into the skid a little bit, right. Cause people talk about my books, they call them beach books, they call them summer reads. And it's like, okay, you know, I do think that there's like, more than a whiff of sexism associated with that term, that it's like, all right, well, let like what does that mean really? Like, what are the parts of a summer read that people really love? And it's like, okay, the setting, like it's gotta be some beautiful, beachy place and like some romance, like, okay, so there's gonna be a love story. But with each of the books in the trilogy, they they have some meat on their bones. Um with Big Summer, that was about, you know, another another wedding, but also this toxic friendship. And also, it was about social media. It was about constructed identities, the roles that we play when we're online versus the people we are in real life, and the damage that does when there's a giant disconnection between those two realities. And with that summer, that was, you know, quote unquote, my Me Too book, that was about the lasting effects of trauma, the way it sort of echoes down through the years, the way it has the power to shape women's lives or deform them in some cases, and um, mothers and daughters, and how do we undo that damage? How do we do better for our girls and for their girls? And then with the summer place, I I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the pandemic and the way that our loved ones drove us crazy, but also about ambition, like women and ambition, women and artistic success and the choices that all of us in in every generation seem to still be making. And why is it like that? Is it always going to be like that? Could it ever be any better? But to answer your question, yes, I think that I am done with summer, at least for now, and ready to say goodbye to Cape Cod. And um, I think my next book is going to be about a bike trip. And so it'll take place in a variety of locales. But I I had a lot of fun writing these books. I, I really did.
0: I'm glad that you said that I really enjoyed reading the summer place. And I was curious, I know that this book was originally called the last summer. Mm -hmm. When did it become the summer place?
1: So, um, you know, When I was doing my little who's on first routine, I'm like, okay, so last summer was that summer, but this summer is the last summer. And, you know, (laughs) but that, that is not the reason we changed it. The reason we changed it was the marketing team thought that the last summer sounded a little downbeat and depressing. And I just agreed. I'm like, no, the last summer, you know, it's like, it's saying goodbye. It's the people you love. And they're like, no, no, no. So, you know, we thought and thought and thought of like, okay, what is a, what is a title that uses the word summer? Because that was important and doesn't connote misery and melancholy. And we just like thought and thought and thought. And, and, um, we finally arrived at the summer place and, I I liked it because there was already the line in the book about Lee talking to Ronnie about like calling this house the summer palace and I'm like okay so that's, there it is, it's you know, this is their summer place and it's not just this house, it's not even just Cape Cod, like the summer place is really any place where they're together
0: as a family. I love that. And without spoiling anything, I love the, just the presence of the house in this story and the importance and significance that it takes. Um, I just thought it was done so nicely and I don't have a question about this. Just a comment that, um, Sutton Foster is narrating the audiobook. Yes. That's yes. I'm like, t- talk about talented women with ambition. I'm so excited that
1: she's narrating the audio she did that summer also. And it was amazing. Like she's just so talented and like, oh my God. So I was delighted that she had time to do this one too. I was um, just very, very happy about that.
0: That's so nice. I think she's going to do a really fantastic job. I can't wait to listen to it when that's available um, out in May. Mm-hmm. And so just to end a little bit, what do you want readers to take away from The Summer Place?
1: I want this book to be pleasurable. I want it to be a lot of fun. I want it to be funny and delicious and diverting and sexy and transporting. And I want it to make you feel like you are sitting on the sand with your toes in the surf and you're reading about this family that has all this crazy stuff going on, but you still kind of think things are going to turn out okay. That's the feeling that I want to leave readers with. But in terms of like, what do I want them to think about? I, I think the conversation we've been having about sacrifice and about art and about the road not taken. And I I think it, it would be interesting if people would read this, if women would read this, because let's be serious, you know, women are going to read this, probably many, many more women than men. And just, Think about their choices and think about what what roads did they choose? What doors did they close? How could things have been different? And what are we going to do so that our daughters don't have to feel like it's a binary decision, like it's this or it's that? Like if men can have both, why can't we? And what's it going to take to get us there?
0: I think you've succeeded just in my reading of the book, I felt all of those things in it. I felt, you know, I really thought about some of the choices I've made and I was certainly in my feelings about it, but, I, but not in a bad way. And I also very much felt um, that escape. It, it so perfectly captures summer to me, um, which was wonderful and, and also torturous, again, as we're kind of in the depths of winter I and I was able to read this book. But I think this was such a nice You know, love letter to family as well. This book has a little bit of everything for readers. And I think certainly women will read this and gravitate towards it, but there was romance in it, there's mystery. Um, I would hope that, you know, people would maybe look beyond some of that stuff. There's definitely something in this book for every reader, in my opinion. Thank you. You're welcome. We really appreciate your time today. Those were my top pressing questions that I had. Um, the only other question I was curious to ask you that I skipped over was just, if you miss, um, you know, any of the, the in-person events and, and things that sort of came pre pandemic and, and how that looks now, um, you know, that we're still, still in this place of, of a lot of virtual and, and hybrid events and, and press.
1: Yes. Okay. So I when when COVID happened back in 2020 and it was like okay, so everything is virtual now and you can do an entire book tour just sitting in front of your laptop and not even wearing pants if you don't want to. I was like, "Oh, beautiful day." Like I was so happy. I was like, this is perfect because I love I am a homebody. I, I'm very happy in my house, in my bed with a book. I'm like, this is so great. You know, what could be better? And what I discovered, um, shockingly, is that I really, really do miss the in-person stuff. Like there's, there's just something about being in a room with other readers and talking about books. And um, I, I have been doing like a handful of in-person events here here and there, like outdoors or masked and distanced and whatever. And like, it's I, I did an event with two authors of another book and we just ended up like riffing for like 10 minutes about like, oh my God, did you read this? And oh my God, did you read that? And oh my God, you have to read this. And like, there's just an energy that you get and like just being able to look people in the eyes and talk to them. I, I miss it a lot and I you know, it fills my buckets in a way that it, it, it's very hard to get your buckets filled through a screen. And I think we've all been just like soldiering on and doing the best we can. It looks as if, and of course, this all could change in 10 seconds, but it looks as if I am going to be able to do some in-person hybrid events in May. We're thinking, who knows? Um, but then I realized like, at this point I am basically feral. Like I have lost all of my people skills and the ability to dress myself. Like I just like stand in my closet and I'm like, huh? Like I it's, it's been just like all like pajamas and like soft pants. So I don't know, I don't know yes. what I'm going to do. Soft pants, soft so pants. many soft pants. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's but, certainly uh, highlighted. I think things that we, you know, were, There was such a, I think maybe a grind before where, you know, it was like travel, going into the office five days a week. And so it was such a stark departure when everything was taken away, no travel, can't leave your house. I think and hope that maybe we are able to find that happy medium going forward where you are able to have, you know, in-person events and, and sort of fill your cup, you know, with people you want to see. But then also some of those things where we were maybe just plowing through, um, we can take a little bit of a of a step back from that and and have that proper downtime.
1: I mean, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that because it sort of ties back into the balance I was talking about and the choices I was talking about. Because from what I've seen on social media, a lot of women like once you eliminated the commute and once you eliminated the well, I have to get dressed and I have to do my hair and my makeup to go to the office, like they could work much more efficiently from home. They could get done what they needed to get done. And then they could like, you know, have some time for themselves, be more present for their families. And Mm -hmm. I, I hope that workplaces are going to be sensitive to that and not just be like, okay, you know, we're back to that nine to five, five days a week thing. And just be a little more flexible and realize that if people are able to do their best work from a more flexible at home situation, like that should be, that should be something that they're allowed to do and encouraged to do.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic definitely fast tracked some of those conversations around, you know, work and life balance. And so I hope, um, I agree, I hope we can get to a nice, you know, a nice happy medium. In the future. Yes. Um thank you so much for talking to us about the summer place out May 10th. I'm very excited for people to read this book. And um I always talk about the covers in um podcast episodes. It's at this point almost a joke because I can't not notice a really good cover. Um, and the cover of the summer place is beautiful.
1: Thank you. And I I am so happy with this cover because there's an actual like curvy, larger woman on it. And I have been like waging this war for like ever to have the women on my covers match the women on the pages and getting nowhere, because I think for a lot of time there was real resistance like If there's a fat woman on the cover, maybe people aren't going to be as intrigued or they're not going to find it as appealing or they're going to think it's a diet book or something like that. Like, I mean, I have heard it all. And I I almost feel like it's a version of I mean, not to not to compare apples and oranges, but like there's whitewashing, right, where there would be like a character of color in the book and there'd be somebody white on the cover or somebody lighter skinned on the cover. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt like my books, there was almost like thin washing where like I'd be writing about fat women, like having sex and being happy. And like I get these covers, and I'd be like, okay, who is this supposed to be? Or like, I remember way back in the day with my third book, Little Earthquakes, the cover was like a woman with beautiful, curly, strawberry blonde hair, and her arm was up in front of her face because you could never show a face back then, because every woman had to be able to imagine herself as the protagonist, so you never showed a face. And I was like, if that is supposed to be Becky, who is my plus size character, her arm is way too thin. And they're like, okay, well, we can do something like we can we can digitally plump it up (laughs) And so I'm like, we're going back and forth and I'm like, bigger, bigger, bigger. And oh boy, I'm glad those days are over. I'm, I'm glad, you know, even if they're just illustrations, I'm so glad to have like real sized women on the covers of my books.
0: I'm happy to see more diversity in the, in the covers and, you know, I think, and hopefully the illustrated cover trend. Um, I was initially reluctant, but I really enjoy it now because I think it provides more opportunity um, to have those diversity of covers with the opportun- with the option to illustrate.
1: Yes, I agree. And I hope maybe if the trend shifts back to models and photographs that maybe this will have opened the door for different body types. Exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much again for coming to talk to us. It's been wonderful to have you um, for your third time on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. So again, we love having you. Thank you so much for coming to chat. You're
1: very, very welcome. Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw